Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Boo Mortensen will be joining us from Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. We'll visit with Seton as well as Art DiLorenzo, the founder and president of uh, uh, Manage Your, uh, you know, what I fa- forgot what MYT stands for, uh, Maximize Your Talent. That's what it is. I apologize for that. Maximize Your Talent. Art DiLorenzo will be joining us as well. We'll be talking about the benefits of quieting your bias and how to go about doing that. It is May 26th, and on this day in 1868, at the end of the historic two-month trial, the U.S. Senate narrowly failed to convict President Andrew Johnson of the impeachment charges levied against him by the House of Representatives three months earlier. The Senate's vote was uh, 35 guilty and 19 not guilty on the second article of impeachment, a charge related to the violation of the Tenure of Office Act. In the previous year, 10 days earlier, the Senate had likewise failed to convict Johnson on another article of impeachment, the 11th, voting on an identical 35 to 19 uh, for conviction and 19 for acquittal because both parties fell short by one vote on the two-thirds majority needed to convict Johnson. He was judged not guilty and remained in office. Uh, Now, the background on this is uh, at the outbreak of the Civil War. In 1861, Johnson, a U.S. senator from Tennessee, was the only senator from a seceding state who remained loyal to the Union. Johnson's political career was built on his defense of the interests of the poor white Southerners against the landed classes of his decision to oppose secession. He said, damn the Negroes, I am fighting these traitors aristocrats, their masters. For his loyalty, President Abraham Lincoln appointed him the military governor of Tennessee in 1862, and in 1864, Johnson was elected vice president of the United States. Sworn in as the president after uh, Lincoln's assassination in 1865, President Johnson enacted lenient reconstruction policy for the defeated South, including almost total amnesty to Confederates, a program of rapid restoration of U.S. state status for the seceding states, and the approval of a new local uh, southern governments, which were able to legislate black codes that preserved the system of slavery in all but name. The Republican-dominated Congress greatly opposed Johnson's Reconstruction program and passed the Radical Reconstruction by repeatedly overriding the president's vetoes. Under the Radical Reconstruction, local southern governments gave way to the federal military rule, and African-American men in the South were granted the constitutional right to vote. In March 1867, in order to weaken further Johnson's authority, Congress passed the Tenure of Office Act over his veto. The act prohibited the president from removing federal office holders, including cabinet members who had been confirmed by the Senate without the consent of the Senate. It was designed to shield members of Johnson's cabinet, like Senator, uh, Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton, who was appointed during the uh, Lincoln administration, was a leading ally of the so-called radical Republicans in Congress. 
In the fall of 1867, Johnson attempted to test the constitutionality of the act by replacing Stanton with General Ulysses S. Grant. However, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to rule on the case, and Grant turned the office back to Stanton after the Senate passed a measure to protest of the dismissal. On February 21, 1868, Johnson decided to rid himself of Stanton once and for all and appointed General Lorenzo Thomas, an individual far less favorable to Congress than Grant, as Secretary of War. Stanton refused to yield, barricading himself in his office in the House of Representatives, which had already discussed impeachment after Johnson's first dismissal of Stanton initiated formal impeachment proceedings against the president. On February 24th, the House voted 11 impeachment articles against President Johnson. Nine of the articles cited his violations of the Tenure of Office Act. One cited his opposition to the Army's Appropriations Act of 1867, designed to deprive the president of his constitutional position as commander-in-chief of the U.S. Army. And one accused Johnson of bringing into disgrace, ridicule, hatred, contempt, and reproach of Congress of the United States through certain controversial speeches. On March the 13th, according to the rules set out by the Section 3 of the Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution, the impeachment trial of President Johnson began in the Senate. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Salmon P. Chase presided over the proceedings, which were described as theatrical. On May the 16th and again on May the 26th, the Senate voted on the charges brought against President Johnson. Both times, the votes were short by one vote. Uh, Democrats in voting against what was a weak case for impeachment, the vote fell just uh, short of the two-thirds majority needed. Well, nevertheless, he chose not to seek re-election and on uh, the Democratic ticket, and in November, Ulysses S. Grant was supported by the Republican radical reconstruction policies, was elected president of the United States. In 1875, after two failed bids, Johnson won re-election to Congress at the U.S. Senate, uh, from Tennessee, he died less than four months later. Unbelievable. What a story about the impeachment of President Johnson. Well, right now, just in terms of coronavirus, and we have 46 uh, deaths now in Collier County, an increase of one since Saturday, 1,282 cases, and 171 folks that have been uh, hospitalized because of coronavirus. Uh, interestingly enough, of the cases, 1,282, 410 are on Immokalee. Uh, 576 of the total 1,282 are Hispanic, and uh, 422 have, total, have, have tested, uh, and 13,876 total tests have been administered, 9% of which have been uh, positive. So that's the background here on COVID-19 here in Collier County. We're beginning to open up, and I think the uh, economy right now, the stock market is starting to recognize the value of that. U.S. stocks edged higher Friday, but notch weekly declines after a wide range of data that this week revealing that sharp contraction in economic activity across the nation. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 60 on uh, Friday, but right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average futures are up in today's trading, looks like up about 500. So perhaps the market uh, is anticipating an increase in economic activity. President Trump was uh, marking Memorial Day with appearances at Arlington National Cemetery and Baltimore's historic Forkman Henry, uh, where, of course, uh, the, the uh, national anthem was written. Uh, with honoring fallen military members, 
who are also sending a clear signal to the country that the agenda will, of, will be business as almost usual amid the coronavirus pandemic. A 21-gun salute greeted Trump as he arrived at the solemn ceremony by the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier on Monday morning. Trump First Lady Melania Trump, Vice President Pence, and Second Lady Karen Pence attended to pay tribute to those who made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of America's freedoms. Trump saluted as members of the military played the national anthem and taps were uh, while Pence and Defense Secretary Mark Esper stood next to him with their hands on their hearts. Trump paused before the tomb with his hands clasped in front of him, touched the wreath adorned with a red, white, and blue ribbon, and then saluted again. He, uh, during a speech, he said, To every Gold Star family here today and across our land, our debt to you is infinite and everlasting. We stand with you today and all days to come, the president said in his prepared speech. The ceremony, uh, while customary for Memorial Day, also was the rest of the day's itinerary, also sent a signal that the administration is looking to bring a return to what uh, Warren G. Harding called, he invented this word, normalcy. After two months of lockdowns in many states, Trump has sought to put a priority on reopening the economy while continuing to abide by the guidelines from CDC. Well, former Vice President Joe Biden made his first in-person appearance in over two months by laying a wreath at Veterans Park near the Delaware residence for Memorial Day. Never forget the sacrifices that these men and women have made. Never, never, ever forget. I was wondering if he's talking to himself and with his memory issues. Nevertheless, Biden told reporters with his voice muffled by his mask, it feels good to be outside my house, he added. Uh, since the uh, coronavirus began, Biden has swapped live campaign stops for virtual events from Wilmington, his home, uh, with the shift yielding to an awkward moments for the gaff-prone candidate. So, uh, in addition to that, Democratic strategist Joel Payne was left embarrassed after insinuating on a TV that black Trump supporters were merely stock models paid to pose in pro-Trump t-shirts. He remarked after the former Vice President Joe Biden claimed that if you are already having a hard time deciding uh, whether to vote for him or, or the President Trump, then you ain't black. What kind of comment is that? Nevertheless, Payne was in the latest Biden defender to put his foot in his mouth by erasing black Trump supporters chuckling during the CBS News interview that two black people shown wearing the Trump campaign new You Ain't Black t-shirts were probably just paid models. Well, guess what? They weren't. One was the uh, uh, coalition of uh, organization to uh, vote Black Voices for Trump. He was the executive director. And Gail Wilson, the other person wearing the shirt, was a deputy executive director to this organization. So leaving egg on his face. By the way, Biden eventually apologized for his You Ain't Black remark made at the Breakfast Club after backlash stating that his regret being so cavalier that no one should have to vote any party based on their race, religion, or background. Charlemagne the God, the host of The Breakfast Club, dismissed the apology. I know that's the attitude. That's why I don't ever care about the words and the lip service of the apology. I just want to see a, an agenda that supports black people and black voters. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Kathleen Pasadoma, our state senator. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And of course, the education programs are terrific. A great season of productions lined up for next year, back to normal. And uh, you can visit the website to get tickets and find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. <laughs> you know, it's uh, how are you feeling? Uh, everything okay in your home? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so it's early in the morning. I have my morning coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cough. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. It looks like uh, everybody's still focused on uh, the pandemic, although right now futures are up, and uh, the president looks like he's focused on reopening the economy. And, of course, uh, one of the models across the uh, the country is what's happening with uh, Florida. Governor DeSantis, I think, has done a good job of uh, managing the process. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, he he is very data driven, and uh, so he looks at the uh, data 
hourly and decisions that he makes are based upon the information provided to him. And, and so far, he's, uh, you know, I, I think he's been doing a, a great job in, in looking at it and, and making decisions based upon the most recent data. And, um, you know, and also allowing local governments to make their own decisions in certain areas. And I, and I think that's it's been a good partnership, I believe. I think so as well. And uh, do you have any idea what's on his mind or what he's thinking about next in terms of opening the economy or, or basically what hasn't opened? Well, uh, pretty much phase two uh, is being, will we'll come out little by little. You know, for example, he recently announced that the uh, uh, student activities would be uh, open this summer uh, if they want to be. Um, he's already opened the gyms, uh, again, if they want to be, um, allowing local governments to manage their own beaches. And I think they've been doing a pretty good job. I, I was thinking about that when I was reading the paper this morning, that, um, uh, for example, the Miami beaches uh, have been closed, and mm-hmm. they're going to be opening on June 1st, um, as is uh, Key West. Uh, so that makes sense to kind of do it in a regional approach, because what happened, you know, back in the uh, the original beach closures, Cali, uh, the city of Naples closed first, and then there was just too much of a uh, overload on the adjoining beaches. So I think the regional approach is good. There's a lot of discussion um, locally on, on on opening, and and I think in, at least in Collier, I noticed that people are being very careful. Uh, the pictures you see of the beaches in the Panhandle, Panhandle where. Uh, over the weekend, where people were packed in like sardines, it's it's unfortunate uh, that that the people have kind of kind of let go of some of the social distancing. But you know, we'll see what happens. At least they're outside. Well, of course, the most uh, demonic types of uh, draconian activities up there in New York, and the and the governor sa- or the the mayor says, if we find you in the beach, if you get yourself wet, we're going to pull you out. <laughs> It's just unbelievable. You know what? It's kind of striking to me that uh, Sweden did not impose any restrictions at all. Of course, all restrictions were self-imposed. People didn't want to get sick or had less economic and uh, activity. Uh, it turned out that at this point right now, Sweden has about the same death rate as we have here in the United States, about 0.3% of the population makes me wonder if perhaps just opening things up and letting people make their own decisions might be the best way to go. Well, they're, they're, you know, the herd mentality concept is, is something that they've employed, although the, from what I understand, the surrounding uh, countries like Norway and Finland, which did shut down, have a much lower rate. So I think only time will tell. The one thing that, that, that strikes me about this whole, whole uh, pandemic is that because it's so um, new and and the the statistics aren't there the the research isn't there every day someone comes out with a new report and and it's very it's got to be very frustrating uh it is for me uh and i hear about uh, things that are going on you know through the through the legislature uh the the, the scientific research and it's different every day i don't know how um how one makes up their mind because one day it's as you said in the herd mentality works and next day it's, oh no it doesn't work and then you know you're left to try to make a personal decision and yeah. maybe that's the way it should be well i i think it is we, we're probably making our best decisions where we're managing ourselves and not having uh, elected politicians exactly. make, make the decisions for us quite frankly and i i personally believe if if the um, governor said the economy is open 
I, w- I believe that we'd probably see the same be- uh, behavior from people. Not many people. Some, there are some people that just don't want to get involved, don't want to go out, stay or stay inside. Right. Other people would say, right. you know, let's let's go out and uh, and uh, go to dinner with people. I was at a table the other <laughs> restaurant the other night that had a table of ten. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, they were six, six feet apart, needless to say. But I think they were having a good time. I think that's the way life should be. I just, uh, I just think we've gone way too far with this thing. Well, I, I think you make a really good point too. A personal responsibility uh, makes a lot of sense, and people who have um, pre-existing conditions or underlying conditions, like you know, I, I was looking at, uh, at that the other day uh, on the. Um, on the uh, Department of Health website and the, the what the underlying causes were, it was by and large it was uh, obesity, um, uh, uh, you know, those kind of diabetes, uh, diabetes, uh, yeah, exactly. So if you have those uh, underlying conditions, then you have to be really careful. Um, but if you're, because I don't, I think it's so rare when it's someone who's younger or uh, who passes away without any underlying conditions. So personal responsibility makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, I, I agree. I mean, New York recently allowed tennis courts to reopen, but with some bizarre restrictions, including bans on doubles tennis matches. And on Long Island, official explained last week that a, a ban on touching opponents' tennis balls, you can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. <laughs> Well, how are you going to serve? I, you know, I, the thing about it is, but I don't understand that because again, it gets back to all right. If I if I pick up the tennis ball that somebody else has touched, as long as I don't touch my face, aren't I okay? So just don't touch your face and wash your hands uh, afterwards. Right? Isn't that what we're being told? I, I don't I don't understand that. And of course, the uh, governor. Uh, Ralph Northam, he's a Democratic governor from Virginia, appeared uh, f- to flout social distancing guidelines this weekend, but made an appearance in Virginia Beach. He could be seen taking selfies with be- beachgoers without a mask. <laughs> so, you know, don't do well, as I do, do as I say. It's it's really unfortunate this is happening. I, j- I just think that, uh, again, let's just let e- everybody make their own decisions, each person. And they can decide to self-quarantine or they can decide to go out and, you know, uh, do what they need to do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the the only concern you have are those people who might be ill and know it, and then they're like, I don't care, because I only care about myself. There is that element. So yeah. uh, you've got to start thinking about that from a personal perspective. If you're concerned about it because you have an underlying condition, definitely you should you know try to avoid uh, others. Right. And, and I, then I, th- I think, you know, that should help. Hopefully, but again, we don't even the research is every day it changes. So I know. I, well, you know what? What's good today may not be tomorrow. The, well, the other thought I have is that we're we're talking about opening up essential services. Well, what job? If I have a job, I think it might be essential. <laughs> so, well, you know, the, the economy can make those decisions. We don't need uh, elected politicians to do so. Although I think when we have a uh, only essential workers returning to government. Perhaps we ought to think about what's whether we should have the other workers even at work at all at, at uh, taxpayer expense. Well, that's that's another issue altogether. I mean, if if uh, we don't do something, there's just no way we're going to be able to afford this if this continues much longer. Right. But then others say, well, 
if we don't nip it in the bud now and it comes back, we won't be able to afford that either. So I know. Um, we are on uncharted waters. Kathleen Pasadomo, again, our state senator. I can't tell you how much I really appreciate your taking time to come on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and have a great day. You as well, Kathleen. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. Time to find out what's new with Boo, that, and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And, of course, that's all going to heat up right now with uh, the pandemic winding down. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the president and founder of Less Government, Seton Motley. Right now we have with us Boo Mortensen. It makes me smile when I say this. It's time to find out what's new with Boo. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. And I have to say that Things are very different in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, the state Supreme Court uh, overruled the governor who wanted to shut down the state, so they said, okay, well, we'll shut it down by counties. And, of course, I'm in one of the counties downtown that they shut. And uh, it's supposed to, phase one is supposed to open today. But to live 
in a downtown area which is vibrant with restaurants and businesses and have it totally deserted at the end of May, yeah. almost June, is uh, it's a, an eerie feeling. It's just strange. I can only imagine. And uh, how are people reacting to it? Or do you have uh, people protesting as we've had in Boston and other cities? Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have protested a lot. So we'll see what happens today. You know, hopefully they will. But he's doing it all in one fell swoop. I don't think he's opening bars, but he's opening restaurants, hair salons, gyms. You know, you've got a reduced amount or occupancy, but he is opening stuff. So we shall see. I'll let you know what happens in a week. But, you know, what's interesting um not only here, but, you know, you get the feeling that you're, maybe you're saving money during this because you're staying in, you're not going to restaurants, everybody's canceling their vacation plans, you can't go to stores to buy clothes, but on the other hand, people are spending more on groceries, cleaning products, takeout, streaming services, so... You know, I wonder if what the net is overall, if people are ultimately saving more money or the virus is costing more. Well, I'll it's say this. Right now. I think the probability is pretty high that there's less money coming in and probably less to spend for many people. Although, well, oh, yeah. we also have this other thing that's going on is that some people are getting $600 a, a week for unemployment compensation. For some people, that's more than they were making. And so, therefore, there's the incentive to not go to back to work and to wait this oh, out, yeah. which is so unfortunate. I mean, I, just, I don't understand why the Democrats want to do this to the economy. Well, it's an election year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that may have something to do with it. I, I don't know. And then, you know, I read an article about states, particularly Florida, that are fudging the the deaths and the people, how many people are infected. They're fudging it so they can open, um, uh, open the state faster. Do you think that's true? Well, I think numbers are being fudged. I think there is a... Uh, uh, there is an interest on on the part of some to increase the numbers. In other words, to say this person died with coronavirus. Well, I've actually talked to people who've and read about people who said no, this person did not have coronavirus. But there is a uh, incentive. For example, if you use a ventilator, uh, Medicare will uh, say if you put down coronavirus, uh, you will get the, the uh, Medicare pays. I think it's the uh, institution, either the hospital or the state, uh, thirty-nine thousand as opposed to thirteen thousand dollars. So there's an economic incentive for putting down died with coronavirus. Sometimes they don't put because of coronavirus, but with coronavirus. So I do think the numbers are being fudged. Yeah. Uh, well, that's just another wrinkle in all of this. How have you been doing? I hear it's hot, hot, hot down there. It has been hot, doing absolutely great down here. Uh, great to get out to restaurants, visit with people. Uh, although there's still, you know, locally some uh, shutdowns and some things that uh, aren't operating. But uh, in my opinion, Boo, as I mentioned in my previous segment, I just think we should open up the economy and let people make their own decisions about their own health. 
what we're finding out is that young people should probably be in back in school right now. You know, they need the structure in their lives. It's good for them. Uh, and it's, yeah. it appears to be very little risk to their lives. People with compromised immune systems, uh, people with uh, diabetes, people with uh, heart conditions and so forth, people who are uh, dealing with cancer issues probably should not be outside, should self-quarantine. But you know what? Everybody has a self-interest in preserving their own health. I think they can make their own decisions. Right. I mean, you probably heard about some of these things that uh, some, <laughs> well, I can't, you have to repeat it again, de Blasio saying that you can't go in the water <laughs> on the beach. What the hell, What is he? Or you can't pick up the tennis ball. You have to kick it back to the other person if you're playing tennis. And no doubles. These types of draconian measures make no sense whatsoever. I know. You know who makes up those rules? Well, I guess the uh, the I guess the mayor sits around and thinks about this stuff. I just don't know. Uh, but it's it's pretty. Uh, you know, in California. Yeah, in California, you can't go outside if you're unless you're wearing a mask. That makes no. Now, how s- crazy is that? Makes no sense whatsoever. But you know what? Go figure. It's California. Right. So if it's uh, well, and look what they're doing with their whole school system. You know, they're not. Uh, I I'm not sure that colleges are even going to open this fall in California. So what is going to happen? The University of Wisconsin has a great football program. Uh, Are they going to open? Are they going to start their season on time? Uh, Yes, they're going to open. From what I have heard, I know that they're taking uh, an act to to cutting, you know, courses that were not popular, getting rid of uh, some professors, uh, getting rid of employees, you know they're they're doing a lot of cost cutting measures right now. But as of right now, they said they're opening, and they said what what Dane County does and what the governor does doesn't have anything to do with the university. They are opening. Well, that's good news and uh, good for them. I think it's uh, going to be good for the students as well. Boo Mortensen again. It's always interesting. We got a little static here on the line, so I apologize to that for our listeners. But uh, nevertheless, it's always great to get your updates. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Have a good day, Boo. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there.
Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by St. Matthew's House. I just encourage you to support St. Matthew's House. They've got six businesses. They are supporting the need of the people that need food, the people that are homeless. And I just encourage you to visit uh, St. STMatthewshouse.org. STMatthewshouse.org. Also, Lulabee's Grill. They're open for business now. It's a great place to have breakfast or lunch right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. I'm not a publisher of whatever you just said. Okay, well, you're founder and president then. <laughs> I apologize oh, for no. that. Well, what did you say, Mystery Central? What did you say? No, I said, uh, oh, did I say History Central? I meant less government. I apologize, Seton. Okay. I didn't want to take credit for someone else's work. No, and I don't want to, to make sure that you get credit for what you're doing <laughs> at Less Government. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government everywhere it rears its ugly head. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, you wrote a column about uh, uh, Google and its systemic theft. I found it to be so interesting. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, Google is in front of the Supreme Court right now. Um, in a lawsuit against Oracle, um, Oracle's a, another big tech firm, but unlike most of the big tech firms, they aren't locked that left. And what Oracle did in 2010 was purchase from Sun Microsystems a product called Java. And, and um, what that is is basically it's an open source platform. And what you can do with it is, it's like it, rather than reinventing the wheel every time you build a website, you can use Java's code, and the only uh, requirement is you keep whatever you make open, meaning other people can use it the way they use they use Java to make it in the first place, or you get a license to use it from uh, Oracle, who purchased the, uh, the, the the product. Right. Well, Google Google made Android operating system, which is now the number one most used uh, mobile operating system on the planet. They built it using Java. They did not keep it open, obviously, and they never acquired a uh, license from Oracle. So now they've made billions of dollars on the Android phones and. Uh, orders of magnitude more than that on the data they've collected off of their Android phones, and they did it with the foundational base 
of Oracle's Java and never paid Java, and they never paid Oracle a dime. Yeah, I guess Oracle doesn't have a sense of humor about that. They want to recover a little bit, I'm sure, through court. I'm guessing I'm sure that's what... Like, I'm sure they'd like some, yeah, uh, you know. I mean, I'm conservatively, over 10, 12 years, Google's probably grossed a trillion dollars off of the information and the uh, product itself, uh, or uh, Android itself. Uh, and, and, and Oracle's asking for $9 billion. $9 billion. <laughs> It seems yeah. like a, a peanut by comparison. So, but what, yeah. what was interesting to me in this column that you wrote is the power of the Google search engine in terms of uh, how it really captures the the majority of the market. It in America, ninety two percent of searches are Google searches. You've heard of you know Bing. You've heard of which is Microsoft's. You've heard of uh, Yahoo, perhaps does search. You've maybe even heard of DuckDuckGo, which uh, its selling point is. It doesn't collect and sell your data, but 92% of all searches are done on Google, mm -hmm. which means they get all the data. Oh, and by the way, number two is Bing with one and a quarter percent, I think. Wow. And they spent a couple billion dollars trying to compete with Google, uh, gave up, and about three or four years ago, cut a deal with Google. So if you use Bing, Google gets your data anyway. Wow. <laughs> so it, it, that's why that's why Google is a, a verb in addition to being a noun. That's why Google is a product name like Q-tip is for cotton swab and Band-Aid is for bandage. It's just become the name for the for the verb for the for the action of searching the web. They dominate it, and you know there's all kinds of antitrust problems that that raises we can discuss that later but right now what what i did was i searched google's i forgot the two terms i searched but i searched them on yahoo bing DuckDuckGo, and google and the the, the, the difference is remarkably the results from all the non-google searches were very very similar the google searches were demonstrably different and favored Google tremendously. When you when you search Google steals, you get a bunch of examples of Google stealing from Yahoo and from Bing and from uh, uh, DuckDuckGo. And, and the number one result from Google is an example of someone stealing from Google, which which I found to be hilarious because that didn't make any of the other lists right, at all. Right. Right. I don't. Uh, you, you know, and so, you know, it's their algorithm. They can do it the way they want, but to pretend it's not biased is, of course, patently absurd. And it just shows that they do steal all the time, whether it's indirectly by having government right policy that allows them to steal, or whether it's directly, which is they are just a trillion dollar company and you're a little inventor and you invent something and Google just that's not going to go so well. They just string it out and uh, take all your money and legal fees for sure. So uh, right now there's been some talk of breaking up Google and uh, also uh, some talk about uh, the political bias of Google and uh, how they're playing a role in the upcoming elections. What are your thoughts? 
Well, again, they're, they're, they're hardcore left wing, and they control 92% of searches, and their searches are demonstrably different. Um, there was, I, I cited an article during the, uh, the, someone during the 2016 election um, searched Hillary Clinton a bunch of times over various several weeks, and two-thirds of the uh, articles that came up were positive. I remember another uh, test by someone in the 2016 election where they typed in Hillary Clinton IND as an indicted, because remember that was when we were looking at whether you know she destroyed 33,000 subpoenaed emails. And you typed in Hillary Clinton IND, and the first three suggestions from Google were India, Indiana, and, <laughs> and something else, wow. none of which were indicted, um, which would be the far and away most pertinent and the fun part was, if you go went and looked at Google's trending topics, which you would think would feed into what they're suggesting to you when you search for something and start typing something in, India and Indiana were shockingly not trending at all. Their line was flat for India and Indiana, and yet that's what Google suggested to you wow. when you typed in Hillary Clinton IND. So it really does then uh, warp, or it's not a, it's not a fair way, it's not a, a, an accurate way or dependable way to get uh, accurate information. Well, you remember, this is just the bias we're talking about. We also haven't mentioned their business model, which is to sell keywords. And you, the, the highest bidder on the keyword, if you search for that keyword, that pops up first no matter what it's doing on the web as far as traffic is concerned. So, and, and of course, Google does this all the time where they will sell your trademark as a keyword, but if you try to sell their, you know, add their name as a, tra as a keyword, they won't let you do it. So they'll violate trademarks on searches for everybody except for themselves. They won't allow you to, to violate their trademark. That's so interesting. Again, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, terrific organization. I love the name of the organization because it basically <laughs> it gives not only its name but also its purpose. Love to see you be successful, Seton. Again, visit lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org. You can visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your very well-informed and enthusiastic commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm trying to turn less government into a noun and a verb, too, like Google. Thanks. And I keep too. Okay. Uh, coming up, by the way, Seton's uh, down here on the Paradise Coast right now. Uh, he has a home typically in Maryland, but uh, he's got now a home down here. So wish him well. Certainly, if I lived in Maryland or here, I'd want to be here. Coming up, we're going to visit with Art DiLorenzo, the uh, founder and president of Maximize Your Talent. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Art DiLorenzo. Art and I worked together for years. We met each other back in 1973 or so. Uh, he's now the founder and president of Maximize Your Talent. Art, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Art. Tell us about Maximize Your Talent. Well, it's an emotional intelligence and mindfulness training company in New York. We do work all over the country, but um, a large uh, pool of our client base is in the, uh, the Northeast. And what we do is we teach people how to uh, manage their emotions and, and, uh, and treat people respectfully. And, and gained great benefit as a consequence, I might add. So uh, last week we talked about quiet your bias. I found the conversation so interesting, and maybe you could remind our listeners, uh, well, first of all, what is quiet your bias? Well, it's a way to um, uh, sit on the things that we have biases for. And um, it's, uh, it's a way to say if you do that, you will be rewarded for managing that bias and kind of sitting on it a little bit. So you, uh, I'm not even sure you may have been aware of this, but back when you were a young person uh, with your brother, uh, you were a fan of one baseball team in New York, he the other, and uh, you figured out that if you could perhaps acknowledge uh, him, uh, you got some benefit about it. Could you remind us about that? Sure. Uh, You know, the Yankees were this storied, legendary team, and and so I chose the Giants, who were at best occasionally interesting. And um, 
but I realized that by by softening my jealousy, um, it, it just made it easier for he and I to get along, and it really set an evidence uh, set evidence to him that you know that I was respectful for uh, him and. I love my brother, and I still love him to this day, and he's still a Yankee fan. And so so it also gave room for him to make some comments occasionally about the Giants, maybe maybe Willie Mays' advent or something like that. And, and as we grew older and he got early access to the family car, it also meant that I could I could uh, ask him for a ride once in a while when normally I would have to walk. But... At the end of the day, what it also gave me was a genuine appreciation for the Yankees, and, and certainly that was in line with my affection for my brother. So I think the underlying concept here is that, is that uh, bias, our, our personal biases, can actually inhibit or create barriers in good communication and appreciation of other people. That would be correct. We we want to burst out with our bias and and defend our positions and and it and it does the the opposite in the other person's brain. It makes them defensive and it makes them restrictive in their willingness to you know to think uh, about what we might be saying. Yeah. So are you, in fact, are you reference a, a quote by Buckminster Fuller. Uh, maybe you could tell us yeah. about it. Yeah, I just came across this by accident, but it just stunned me when I read it, especially given the work that we're doing. It says, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, you have to build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So that's what started us on this journey of of trying to understand how to quiet our bias, because that's certainly... A new model, and so, so uh, this I think takes some degree of self-awareness. In other words, uh, knowing uh, your your biases. How do you go about doing that? I think there's uh, four steps that that we are really rudimentary in our research and in our uh, uh, in our exploration here. But knowing one's values is really important. For example. I know mine, and I've practiced them all my life. This my adult life. Uh, uh, mine is mine is our heritage, integrity, family, health, loyalty, and compassion. And um, as you might imagine, it's it's challenging to remember all of those things all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the brain has habits, and, and and one of the advantages of the habits is that you can memorize these things, and when a life experience comes along that challenges you, um, you are ready for them because you know what's really important to you. Uh, another big step is knowing you're five or six or seven, I have eight most joyful moments in your life. Mm-hmm. And when we put those things in our minds, it, it almost immediately calms us. And uh, I can tell you, you and I didn't know this about each other probably, but I did a lot of serious mountain climbing uh, when I uh, in the early 2000s. And, wow. uh, and uh, knowing these five joyful moments saved my life while I was climbing one time. So maybe a story for another day. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so thinking of these joyful moments and, and knowing and being in touch with these joyful moments, I guess that what you're suggesting here, it creates a sense of calm uh, when you're interacting in perhaps a stressful situation. Exactly. And it, 
it, it immediately floods the brain with positive uh, uh, chemicals. And and by having those readily available to us, it just allows us to kind of just calm that bias a little bit, calm that anxiousness, calm that, that anger. Yeah. And uh, because the brain can't do both things it, it, at the same time. It's either going to emote or it's going to think. If you were in a challenging situation, you want your brain nice and calm so that you can think about responses and think through things. That is so interesting. And, and what is step three? Well, um, <laughs> reciting these things and practicing them is really important. And if you have a good pal and, and, and you're wanting to start down this journey, you know, just write them all down and ask them to quiz you on them and practice them. And you can do it while you're driving. You can put them on a tape, put it, a tape or a CD, put it in the car, listen to them. And over time, you will create um, a series of neural pathways in your brain that, that memorizes all these things. And uh, if we have time at the end, I'll tell you a funny story about it. But, um, but that's number three. Yeah. And number four... No, please do. Number four. Number four is the is the is the bell ringer because it, it's it's if we're going to have uh, a challenging experience, you know, conversation boundary time is in play. You have to select your boundaries from which you are going to have this discussion, and by simply agreeing and sitting down and agreeing with somebody who could be, you know, the opposite of your thinking, and, and asking them to establish boundaries for the conversation, that act in and of itself calms people. It gets their thinking going. And so I wrote down eight, and I think you have them. You could send them to your readers if they're curious, but they can make up their own eight or five or whatever they want. But this is what we're wrestling with at the moment. Number one, we will both stay calm. So you and I are going to have this challenging conversation, and we agree ahead of time to stay calm and consider it in our tone of voice. And we choose not to make inflammatory comments uh, and you know to be hurtful or something in some way. Number two, we each reserve the right to leave the conversation if we feel any kind of physical threat, mental threat, or emotional threat. And we will not interrupt each other, but simultaneously we will not monopolize the time when we're speaking. Number five is, uh, uh, we will, uh, sorry, number four, we will ask permission to respond when the other person has concluded a comment. It's an actual act. Bob finishes speaking, and yeah. I say to you, is it okay if I have a few moments to respond? Mm. And again, that's one of those subtle things that calms us and, and allows us to think. Yep. Number five, we will remember our interest to remain cherished friends, our respected colleagues, and, and try and be you know, just big brothers to each other. Yeah. And we agree that it's possible that we could be wrong in an assumption. Mm-hmm. And then seven and closing down. We agree to acknowledge your change in perspective. So I'm going to actually say to you, you know what, Bob? You said something that just went right into my head. I never had that thought before. I didn't understand it. I understand it now. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be happier that you could explain it to me. And then last is um, we agree that we may not be able to agree. um, But what we do get out of it 
is that we are models now for somebody that's watching this experience, and they say, "Well, that's that's how people get along. That's how that's how people can live comfortably yeah. together with different thoughts." Well, these are the, and of course, I think uh, the underlying assumption of all of this is uh, our relationship. And my respect for you as an individual is a lot more important than our disagreement. So, uh, you know, the whole notion that we're what you've just created here is a way to build a bridge in a relationship that's difficult. In my own, we simply we simply have just too many relationships right now that are divisive and difficult, as opposed to building bridges and and making uh, good relationships. Can you make a give us some closing comments on this? Sure. Yeah. Here's one. I wish I could find the author to this, but it was pretty clever. It says, you must always be willing to truly consider evidence that contradicts your beliefs and admit the possibility that you may be wrong. Intelligence isn't knowing everything. It's the ability to challenge everything you know. That is great. It reminds me of one. I'd rather be effective than right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful, too. I have to write that down. Yeah, Art Di again, the founder and president of Maximize Your Talent. I encourage you to visit MaximizeYourTalent.com. Art, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Great interview. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll visit us tomorrow. We'll have some great guests lined up for you. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>